You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be... So what's the difference between two dicks and a joke? I don't know. What's the difference? I can't take a joke. Oh my god! (laughs) Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, the weekly pop culture horror queer show where we talk the best and worst the horror genre has to offer. We come to you live from the TCQ Video Store, your favorite VHS rental spot where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. I'll now be going by my pseudo-pseudonym, Anita Hot Dog. My name is Raymond. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hello, everybody. I'm the fly buzzing around in your telepod. Nick. Oh, God. (laughs) Welcome back to the store. It is our third week into our February. Free for all. How are you all feeling this month? In the month of love. Is everybody feeling loved? Mm. 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 Call that number after the show. <laughs> <laughs> after hours. TCQ After Dark. Oh. Oh, our spinoff podcast. <laughs> How are you feeling? Do you have anything planned for Valentine's Day? No, Richard planned something. So thank God I don't have to do anything besides get him a gift. You guys trade off, right? Yeah, we we try and be fair about it. We we shit we uh, literally like uh, trade off years. Like one year we'll do all the like the anniversary, the Valentine's Day, and like whatever else romantic shit we have to do together. <laughs> um, so this year is his year, and uh, he planned something pretty on the fly too. Ah, because this is the fly episode. Oh god damn it! What about you? What do y'all have planned for the month of love? Well, so the now... So, okay, everybody. John Paul and I are horrible at planning anything. We're that couple that's, like, late. Or, like, oh, our anniversary is, like, next week. What should we... What should we do? (laughs) But the good thing is, is that we both do that. But then when we do do something, it's really fun. We usually like to jump by the seat of our pants, but that is usually when we've had the best time. Like, I think the Mm -hmm. most that we've had anything planned was maybe for like our fifth. But now this is like our, oh Jesus, 11th Valentine's Day together. (gasps) Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? We're in the double digits. You're old. So much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> way to ruin like the month of love <laughs> over here like <laughs> that shit this is a hard month for a lot of people who are single i remember when i was single i was like boo <laughs> throwing rocks at every couple that i saw get a room get a room heteros actually i still do i was just thinking about this at work the other day i was like i still don't enjoy pda it's like no like i don't mind like holding hands, a little kiss, a hug, sure. But there was legit, like, a couple making out in my lobby the other day. Legit no. making out. Like, no. they had their laptops out like they were working. And then they broke out making out. And I was like, where are Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot stand public PDA like that. That's so funny. Somebody at my work the other day, there was, it was two teens. It was two teens. And there's nothing more that I hate more <laughs> Then teens are teens in love. <laughs> teens in love are so f- 
fucking uh, annoying. I've said it and I'll say it again. Teens in love are just I'm like, shut up. It's not the end of the world. I know it feels like the end of the world and I get it. Nobody understands you. I promise you it's not. I, I guarantee it's not. I guarantee it's not. But they were playing tonsil Nor hockey does anyone care. in like my workplace and I'm just like, ma'am. No. Take that shit under the bleachers like everybody else. Or the is. library. That's what it's there for. <laughs> <laughs> you think people are reading in there? <laughs> everybody knows that's the cruising spot. Why do you think all the queers hung out in the library? I have to take that out. We've been like, yeah, go to the library. And now here we are like, yeah, go f***ing cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for a science experiment gone horribly awry to witness our ultimate 80s hunk Jeff Goldblum become a monster? Mm. This week, TCQ Video has received copies of the critically acclaimed body horror masterpiece, David Cronenberg's The Fly. And now, our feature presentation. Listeners! The Fly is available to stream on Amazon Prime. Otherwise, you're going to have to rent on anything else. And honestly, it's it's worth the rent. If y'all have never seen a David Cronenberg film, this is the one to watch. Yeah. He does, like, creature feature with a sci-fi twist. It's it's wild. I mm. So, I've don't want to fully commit to myself and be like, yeah, I love David Cronenberg. I've honestly only seen oh, no. two movies from David Cronenberg, and those are Videodrome, and then that is also Scanners, both of which I really like for whatever they present. Plus, hello. So you've seen three. Debbie Harry and I've got James Wood. <laughs> Um, I, I really, really like Videodrome. Mm, I can't. Mm, I guess I'm gonna spill the beans right now. I've never seen this movie until we put <gasps> it on the podcast. No. I know. Really? I know. I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and shame you because honestly, this is the only David Cronenberg movie I've seen. I've never seen Videodrome. <gasps> I've never seen. What was the other one you just mentioned? Oh my God! Scanners. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know the references. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them. This is the only David Cronenberg movie I've seen. And I fully enjoy Ooh, I just gave away my rating, but I fully enjoy it. I, I'm so excited for you. I, David Cronenberg is insane. But like, let's talk about him when we step into the telepods and smoke up a little joint to become one with 420 of <laughs> Whatcha Smokin'. 420 Whatcha Smokin'. <laughs> We're going to hotbox the telephones. <laughs> what did you smoke with this week's watch? So, for this week's screening, we actually picked up some... We had a few different strains. We, like, splurged, and we needed to re-up, and so we had to re-up on... We got two different sativa strains and two different indica strains. So this week, I needed a, a light and perky sativa to keep me, like, kind of focused on the wild ride that is this, like, hour 30 trek into uh, like whoo i don't even know what to call it but it's a wild ride so i puff puff pass on a little bit of my animal mint sativa she's light she's perky and now she's number one she's my sativa 
She's animal mints. Ooh, that sounds really good. Is it actually minty or am I just making that up in my head? I, you know, most of the time when they call these strains like animal mints, Girl Scout cookies, gelato, I don't taste any of that. Really? Ever. Like, I don't ever taste a difference, really. I can taste when something's like a little fruity, maybe mm-hmm. like an undertone. But when they go off the rails with like animal mints, what am I supposed to be tasting in that? Like, I don't know, but it tastes good. It didn't taste bad. I got high. Is that what you're asking me? <laughs> it did its job. I can't really relate to that just because I worked in weed so much that we are surrounded by so much and you're smelling so many different things. Mainly for me, it's not in the taste. It, the only time that I really taste it is if it, like you said, something really tangy or if I put in some lavender or rose in my bowl. Like I really like doing yeah. this stuff. The only time I'll ever like pick it up is when I smell it before I burn it. And like, that's the only time I don't have like an incredible oh, okay. palate. Like, like uh, some people claim to have. But uh, this week, so funny enough that we're talking about, like, what is it supposed to taste like? I have Pootie Tang to smoke this week, and it is a sativa. (laughs) (laughs) Pootie Pootie Tang. I mixed it with a little bit of indica just to make sure that it's a little balanced, because sometimes... You got the runny kind? (laughs) Ooh! I mixed it with Chem (laughs) I-95, and both are beautiful together. I'm really, really stoned right now. But that's... Thank you. We love to see it. Thank you. We love Mwah. to see it. Mwah. I'll continue to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but before... <laughs> I'll take every day. While we smoke the bud and puff puff pass, how? So we just disclosed, both of us have never seen this movie. I'm kind of gagged that we both have it. I thought at least one no, of us No, I have. It. You have it. Oh, you haven't seen a David Cronenberg movie. I said this is the this only... One. Yeah, this is the only David Cronenberg movie I've seen. Uh, funny enough, I saw this as a... I, I would say a child, like an adolescent... Uh, um, you know, my mom, gra- your grandma, she loves to watch anything and everything under the sun. Yeah. She will sit there and watch almost any movie except for like gory, extreme horror movies. How did she watch this one then? I have no idea. <laughs> I just remember that it was on TV and she was watching it. I want to say I came in about halfway when I began to watch it the first time when he was already like starting to go mad mm. and starting to deteriorate. And I was like, what is this? And so I sat there and I kept watching and I just saw it get worse and worse. And I was like, oh my God. And I can't remember when was the second time I picked it up and watched it thoroughly. But that first introduction was just like, oh my God. And that's probably why I have never touched another David Cronenberg movie. Because that shit really fucked me up. I was was pretty young when I watched it. And it like, it's not that like gore or like, body horror does anything to me i know it does something for you but it was just it's more so the the whole the like sci-fi kind of body horror Mm. mixed with this story this kind of love story that got to me it was really (sighs) up (laughs) oh this oh i wasn't ready i wasn't ready (laughs) i'm gonna fully disclose right here and right now I legitimately, I watch this with headphones on, and whenever I watch things with headphones on, I'm really immersed because everybody, I am stoned out of my gourd when I watch these movies. It is <laughs> as one should. As one should. The mixture of the weed and the story and the headphones, I wept. <laughs> I wept. <laughs> tears. Tears. I was not ready for Gina Davis to serve it to me. To serve it to me. Miss Gina Davis. Miss mm-hmm. Gina Davis. We finally get to talk about her. I'm oh, Miss so Gina excited. Davis can serve it up. 
She can serve it up. You know what? Let's just a little bit Gina Davis. Let's skip and keep going and let's just talk all about her when we find out on the VHS special features how this f- movie was made. The Fly was released August 15th, 1986, with a runtime of one hour and 36 minutes. It is rated R, and everybody, this moves so fast. I was also not ready for how fast this movie moves. So fast, bitch. It moves so fucking fast, I got whiplash. It, but it, I think the reason why I enjoyed it so much is that it cut all the fat. There's no fat on this movie. It is, like, you need every single version of it what is it's serving it to you. cut and lean like Jeff Goldblum's body, oh, bitch. My Jesus. It's so unfortunate because you're just like, oh, mm, eat it, eat it, ow. Mm, but then mm. it starts becoming this thing that uh, is oh, but before, nightmarish. Before it gets to the thing, it's so good. <laughs> Especially in those little great briefs. Uh, that's probably why I like this movie so much. Am I gay? Moving on to taglines. Something went wrong in the lab today. Very wrong. There is a limit, even to the imagination, where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Dr. Seth Brendel is about to go beyond that limit, and he's bringing you for the ride. Help me. Please, help me. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Half-man... Half insect, total terror. I actually really like that last one. <laughs> I actually, I, I think I like almost all of these, even the long-winded one. I don't. I love in the eighties that there was just a full synopsis on the front of posters. It's my favorite thing on the fucking planet. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> but the, some of these. Yeah, I'm just, actually not too mad at it. Right, some of these are just iconic, though. The iconic line. I didn't know this is where it came from. I have heard this uttered so many times and referenced in so many things. Be afraid. Be very afraid. When she uttered it, I almost. I was like, ah. This is history. I Your am nipples witness- got hard. Oh, Gina Davis. Our director, also known as the Baron of Blood, the one and only David Cronenberg. We finally get to talk about one of the most infamous directors in horror. Specifically, like Ray talked about, body horror. He is the director of Scanners mm-hmm. in 1981, Videodrome in 1983, and The Dead Zone in 1988 infamous director with many of his films exploring visceral body transformations, infection, technology, and the woven stories of the psychological with the physical, and so much sex. He loves the sex. Please watch Videodrome, now that I'm talking about sex, because there's a lot of it, but there's also this, like, interesting (laughs) theme of, like, sex and violence and what the media consumes in Videodrome. It's a really good movie. I highly suggest Mm. it. Yeah. Yeah, I've never, I know these references, and I know these titles, I know David Cronenberg, unfortunately, my only, like, frame of reference for Cronenberg is The Fly. That makes sense. Which is, in my opinion, a great reference, though. (laughs) Honestly, it's a fantastic reference. It's one of his most, it's his most commercial film, I would say, is The Fly. This was, it did fantastic things for him. But uh, for our script, it was written, and we'll discuss the switch-up and the crediting about it. The film is based off of a short story by George Langeland, with the screenplay credits going to both Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. Revenge of Pogue? I, it's so funny. I, it's, I don't... You can't, the first thing you thought of? It's the first thing I thought of was The Covenant. How <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> Moving on to casting. Our movie stars... The one, the only, the daddy, mm. Jeff Goldblum, as our main character, Seth Brundle. 
we have the beautiful Gina Davis as Veronica Ronnie Quaif, John Getz as Stathis Baranis, Joy Bouchelle as Tawny, Leslie Carlson as Dr. Brent Cheevers, George Chavallo as Marky, and David Cronenberg making a cameo appearance as the gynecologist. I didn't clock that at all. <laughs> well, he was also like, he had a mask and glasses and the full like, oh, okay. garb in the whole thing. I, this is, this cast is fantastic from the 80s. I also just have to mention that Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were dating at this time. And Jeff was the one that suggested Gina for this role. And, oh, really? Yeah. Cronenberg actually didn't think that she would have been good in it, but she came into audition. He was like, oh, never mind. I'll shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like this cast. This cast is really fun. It did not know that it is so small. I didn't know that. I Oh, yeah. This cast is like a quiet, small... It's Honestly, this is probably a play that could be done with like four people. And then like, that's it. Oh, yeah. Did you know this got turned into an opera? Oh, God. It got turned into an opera that Cronenberg directed. No way. Yes, that is insane. That is insane. I saw clips I and see. pictures of it. I'll send it to you. Um, It looked... Beautiful. I'm a sucker for like monster stuff on stages because I always want to see how you do it. I want to see like, yeah, how are you going to present it? So I think this would be great to yeah. see. I wouldn't know what they're talking. About. I, I agree. I'm always curious to see like, this works in film because there's editing and lighting and all that stuff. But if you're going to do this live on stage, I'm curious to see how you're going to pull this off. I know. Um. Hello, Jeff Goldblum. Ugh. Love. Uh, Gina Davis, love, uh, love her in not only Beetlejuice, but one of my personal favorites, A League of Their Own. For Thelma and Louise. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the rest of the cast is there. I don't know a majority of them. I do like John Getz as Stathis because he's a piece of shit. He's a great piece <gasps> of shit. He's also, he is a good piece of shit because he's also a piece of shit and don't tell him all the babysitter's dead. I'm right on top of that, Rose. Stop. You're gagged. He's Stop. got a beard now. That's why you didn't recognize him. He looks good with the beard. He looks really good with the beard. <laughs> I felt weird things about him. Anyway, moving on to your favorite. Review. IMDb gave it a 7.6 out of 10. Metacritic, it got a 79 out of 100. And Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 93% tomato meter and an 83% audience score. I think that might be the highest scores we've ever seen from Rotten Tomatoes for a film that we've covered. Mm, no, it had 97. Like, someone... Really? Yeah, somebody was at 97. I would say... Not to drag any of the movies we've done so far. This might be the highest we've seen this season. In season two, I would say this is probably one of the highest that we've seen in a minute. Because no shade to Batman and Robin. You're not exactly winning percentages on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, bitch. Oh, bitch. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. I don't know if I agree with the 70 and the 7.6. Because I think this film is far better than those scores. But I, I really like the 83% and the 93%. I think I agree. And there's also no accounting for taste when it comes to critics. Moving on. Everyone's getting burned today, honey. For our production, we have an estimated budget that varies from 9 to 15 million. That's a pretty big variance, but mm -hmm. they worked in Canada, so who knows? Maybe it didn't transfer over. For our box office, we have a gross worldwide income of 60 million. That's a pretty big hit. Especially for the 80s. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're even on the high end, if your budget was 15 million and you earned back 60 million, that's well over your 
twice, if not three times your budget. Not only that, this is an Academy Award-winning film in terms of its makeup. I cannot... Oof. Ooh, my nipples are already erect. I'm so excited to talk about the goddamn makeup. Yeah, because these are all practical effects, bitch. Mm, so good. Moving on to script. In the early 80s, the classic sci-fi horror film The Fly was brought up for the idea of a remake. Charles Edward Pogue was approached to create the script. He and co-producer Kip Oman approached 20th Century Fox with a pitch for the new film. At first, the executives were enthusiastically on board. That is, until the first script came in. They were so unimpressed that they immediately withdrew from the project, and even after negotiation, producer Stuart Cornfield found a way for Fox to distribute the film, but financing would come from somewhere else. I hope you're going to be gagged from where, because I was gagged. That financing would come from a very unlikely source, comedic legend Mel Brooks. His production company Brooks Films agreed to finance the film. However, Brooks would leave his name off of the credits to not confuse the viewers into thinking it would be a comedic flick. Gagatandra like, again! Excuse me, excuse me. I was not ready for Mel Brooks to be the what I freaking love the producers. I know I probably shouldn't, especially with today's PC. But Young Frankenstein as well. Young Frankenstein is one of my mm-hmm. favorite comedies from the 70s. It's such a good movie. Didn't he also do, like, Spaceballs? He also did Spaceballs, um, Blazing Saddles. He's Yeah, amazing. Blazing Saddles. He's hilarious. He's fantastic at writing musicals. I was not prepared for him to be the one to do it. Hello- Backing a David Cronenberg body horror film? That's, yeah, that's pretty gag-worthy. It's very gag-worthy. <laughs> It's also very smart of him to be like, don't put my name on the bill because people are going to think it's a funny movie and they're going to be like upset when they watch what it is. Smart man. I'm just going to say that. Brooks read the script and believed they needed a new writer. So Pogue was dropped and a new writer was hired. However, again, the new script was also deemed unsatisfactory and Pogue was brought back on. So while all of this was happening, they were also searching for a director and their first choice was Cronenberg. But at the time, he was attached to another film. Can you guess what that other film was? I I honestly wouldn't even be able to tell you because I'm not familiar enough with... So, and to your credit, the film that he was originally attached to eventually went to a different director. But that film that he was attached to at the time was the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, Total Recall. Imagine (gasps) a Total Recall with Cronenberg... That would have been insane. But when they brought on a British director, Robert Bierman, all seemed well until tragedy occurred and Bierman had to drop out due to his daughter's untimely death. After this incident, Cronenberg was eventually brought back on because Total Recall eventually just dropped. He agreed to sign on as director if he was allowed to rewrite the script. So even after many changes to Pogue's script, Cronenberg insisted that he and Pogue share screenplay credits, especially since he felt that his version of the script would not be able to be formed without Pogue's original foundational script. Are we good? Are we caught up? Has there been another goddamn rewrite? I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the magical world of filmmaking, y'all. This happens on the daily Bitch, I've gotten to say there's a rewrite that day. There's a rewrite that day. There's a new producer. Uh, who was that guy that I worked with him the other day? Nope. Oh, say goodbye to your director. They brought in a new director, too. I've only worked on a project that did that once, and I was gagged. Gagged. <laughs> it was my first time doing that, and I was just like, 
Okay. Oh my god, the girls are fighting. <laughs> the girls are fighting. I'm probably gonna have to bleep it, but it was when I worked for. So, like, this isn't working because the guy wanted to do like a goth character in the commercial, and they were like, no. And they cut it. I'm gonna have to bleep everything. Like, I can't state their name because I signed a waiver. But, like, I was just like, oh, because I was signed on for, I think, two days. First day there was that director. By lunch, bitch, he was gone. <laughs> They're like, he's pitching some radical ideas over here. We need to get him off the For set. a commercial. A commercial. It's a big brand. You can't, you can't deviate from, a, like, a big brand like that. You can't deviate from what they already set out. This is true. This is true. This is time and money, and you're wasting my time and my money. I get it. I get exactly. it. Exactly. Wow. Me wow. That's a lot of rewrites and passing of the torches. However, I have to say, this is another case of like Jaws, where it's like, this shouldn't be working, but what but is given is, oh my God, I have a lot to say about this script. That's all I'm going to say. It's giving. It's giving. <laughs> Moving on to production. One of our favorite things on the planet is 80s practical effects. Yeah! This film is nothing short of milestones for the world of special effects. The Academy Award winning makeup was designed and executed by Chris Wallace, who we mentioned in our Gremlins episode. Ding! <laughs> he was also the creature designer for that film. Wow. Coming from a Gremlins background, I'm already impressed. Oh, I know. I had, oh my God, the giant puppetry alone in that one. This is just, they still hold up. I don't give a f what you have to say to me. These still hold up. I'm still reacting in ways that you want me to react to. And that's all credit to what is shown on screen. Mm -hmm. That is insane. I agree. I agree. They still hold up because the effects are so well done. The writing is well is well. It's done well as well. And then the music, it just, it still makes you, it still envelops you into this world of Cronenberg that he creates with his films. Mm-hmm. And the majority of this film takes place in one apartment complex. We have other mm -hmm. places we venture to, but the main source is this one area and let me move forward before I it's just It's not even here. an apartment, bitch. It's a lab. We finally get to talk about an evil... It's not even an evil lab. I'm so excited. We finally get to talk about, like, a scientist laboratory. Like, this is I so exciting. I was waiting for it. The laboratory. <laughs> the designs took three months to create. For the transformation, it was broken up into essentially seven stages, with Goldblum spending many, many hours in the makeup chair to be turned into these horrific designs. And the stages are as follows. The first two stages were simple and subtle, with the rash-like skin, sores, and tiny little fly hairs. By stage mm -hmm. three and four, wigs with bald spots and prosthetic teeth and prosthetics covering Goldblum's gorgeous, beautiful face were utilized. Ugh. Stage five was our first full-body suit. This also included Goldblum wearing distorted contact lenses. And it's so subtle... I don't know if you'll notice it because you are looking at literally everything else on gorgeous George Goldblum's bate, but <laughs> it is, it's so disturbing. It's so disturbing. By stage six, the final quote, Brundlefly was created. This included a full body cable and rod controlled puppets. By the final stage, a giant puppet of the mortally wounded Brundlefly telepod fusion creature thing, which was also dubbed the quote, Brundle Truth and Brundle Thing. <laughs> the 80s were wild, especially with practical effects. 
I like this was just the age of special effects teams really going for it and really using some creative methods to create this fantasy on screen essentially because I couldn't tell you how they created these effects but god damn are they believable and are they horrifying <laughs> Did, uh, yes 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 and it just continues to get worse and worse and worse <laughs> it, it, it these really does. stages are just amazing they're an amazing metaphor for what we're going to talk about especially when we come back from our break but like wow f- me wow that's all i that's all i have to say that's all i have to say because i'm gonna go into better detail when we actually talk about the story beats but how bitch yes (laughs) and we got a fun fact lastly the infamous baboon scene the animal's nickname was typhoon was very much a wild animal and not an animal actor when shooting the scene with the baboon once, the flashing lights began in the telepod. The baboon was so frightened it broke the doors off of the telepod. The Wrangler and Jeff Goldblum were the only ones who could keep the primate in check. The biggest reason as to why Goldblum could aid was due to his size and his capability to actually keep the baboon calm. No, like, down. Like, he would Oh, keep, down. My bad. He would hold the monkey down when this sh- this is how PETA was formed, okay? Because, like, uh, ma'am. Seriously. Ma'am. Ma'am. Cronenberg has also been stated of saying, like, th- he also has a very big fear of baboons, which I find interesting. I love when directors put their legitimate fears into their movies. But this, <laughs> like, this is an animal, and he would just flip the fuck out, and we would have to try and figure this out, and these are the only two people who would do it. And luckily, they use the word, luckily... Goldblum was be- was good enough in order for him to like keep the thing down because if they didn't have that bond, who knows what have happened? <laughs> 80s are wild. Everything's seat of your pants, everybody. Just get her done. I can't. I can't. That sounds dangerous as hell. And I, w- I don't work with no live animals. Mm-mm. They say never work with live animals, children, and drag queens, and old people. <sighs> Let's set the teleportation pods to stunning as we go to commercial. We'll be right back. Mm. We'll be right back after these messages. Our film opens with an epic title card, (laughs) followed by our opening credits backed by an ultra dramatic score. We meet our main characters at what seems to be some sort of adult science fair. Seth Brendel is desperately trying to keep the attention of Veronica Quaif, a journalist who still has other inventors to interview. After a small chase down and a pathetic plea, Veronica decides to go over to Seth and see his great invention. It's not a euphemism for his dick. Yet. Definitely not. Yet. Definitely isn't dick. Definitely isn't dick. A weird opening. I thought, like, I thought I had missed, like, the first couple of minutes. Ah. I was like, why? It literally were dropped in mid-conversation. Like, I had no idea where we were. I had to deduce where we were. I had to deduce who they were. So it was a little, like, I had to do some detective work right off the bat, which was kind of weird. Um, but this movie just, like, it 
jumps in on, on on a situation and it just goes for you because from this moment there's no explanation and we just move forward from here on out there's no backstory whatsoever i'm so glad that we're talking about a story that started this way because we have you you have conflicting feelings about <laughs> <laughs> excuse me <laughs> No, you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Because sometimes you like when we're dropped in and we go, and there's certain occasions where it doesn't. And sometimes, I feel like lately, I can figure out when those happen. This one, I feel like, is definitely that situation. Because in some ways, I agree. Because we get an excellent, soft, somber score at the beginning that I wasn't expecting. I legit was expecting, like, I was expecting, like, some, like a punch, and I don't know why. We're dropped here. We meet Jeff Goldblum. We meet Gina Davis. Both of their hair takes up half of the screen. But the <laughs> volume... It was the 80s, Jackie. I'm not Uh, dissing Stocks were (laughs) rising. Ask your mother. She knows. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I'm not dissing it. I enjoy it. I just find it hilarious. The only thing that I feel like is kind of difficult when we start running, it makes sense as you start getting more clues and context to these characters. Jeff Goldblum is so intense at the beginning that I don't know yes. if I'm supposed to like him right off the bat. For a second, it took me to realize that. I'm like, oh, he's just a nerd who doesn't exactly have the best social skills, who is yeah. trying to, like, it took me a minute to get there because at the same time, he's this is the most Jeff Goldblum Goldblum I've ever seen. I thought Jurassic Park was Goldblum Goldblum. <laughs> this is, like, Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is... Always Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum, this is that Goldblum peak. This is where Goldblum found Goldblum and started to Goldblum. <laughs> Say Goldblum again. Goldblum. Like, it's... <laughs> is it me? It's me. No! Drama? No! <laughs> I see what you're saying 100%. Because I agree. He's very creepy in the beginning. Very. I'm sorry. Yes, he's very attractive. But if we were trying to have a conversation and you were being this weird, that is a total red flag, and I would not leave that place by myself. I wouldn't have left with him. I wouldn't have left with him. He yeah. does continue to keep leading with the line, I'm working on something that will change the world as we know it. Like, we're led to believe all of this stuff, but this setup just feels too creepy for me. It could be coming from, like, trauma field 2022 and, like, what we've experienced into this world. So this doesn't yeah. become that believable. Maybe in the 80s it is, and I'm just looking at it at a wrong viewpoint. But right no, the- I don't buy that because no? by this point we've had so many serial killers. Summer of Sam, uh, what's his face here in California and LA, the Night Stalker. There were so many serial killers, bitch. Gina Davis was just thirsty for that dick, and girl, I relate. What <laughs> is disgusting? Give it to me now. The- <laughs> I think she was both thirsty for the dick but i think she was also thirsty for that story honey because he's trying to sell she's got money to put she's got food to put on the table she's got food to put on the table i just i feel like i needed to start there they're like i don't know how i feel about this character because as it progresses oh my god i love seth brundle as a character i love ronnie i love ronnie veronica but ronnie ronnie i like both of these characters a lot and from the jump it's i'm 
on board with Gina Davis. Like, no, for me, like, oh, yeah. no matter what she does, she can steer me. She can't, she can't steer me wrong. I know we're gonna be good. It's very. Uh, it, she's giving April O'Neil vibes. You just couldn't wait to sneak in an April O'Neil mm, reference. Mm, mm. Hello, the jumpsuit. Come on, <sighs> about the looks. I can't wait to talk about the looks. Uh, I wrote so many notes about the looks. <laughs> oh my god, this movie's not about the looks. It's about the body for me. The looks are on the body. <laughs> Off. <laughs> they pull up to a shady ass looking part of the meatpacking district and Seth promises that it's quote, it's cleaner on the inside. Ugh. Once inside, Seth shows Veronica the telepods, which she keeps referring to as designer telephone booths. <laughs> he asks her for a personal item and she gives him one of her pantyhose because she doesn't wear jewelry. He tosses it inside the pod and tells her to watch the hose. When she does, it essentially evaporates and it reintegrates on the other pod. So Veronica is surprised and immediately starts recording their conversation secretly. When Seth discovers that she's recording and planning on writing a story, he asks her not to, and she leaves in a hurry. The next day, Veronica presents the tape to her editor, where he quickly dismisses the story, calling Seth a con man. Right as he's dismissing Veronica, Seth shows up to plead his case, which wasn't needed seeing as how the editor didn't buy it anyway. Seth and Veronica head out for a cheeseburger where he tries to convince her to write a book about him and his invention, with the book culminating in Seth transporting himself 15 feet. When we get to this district, girl, okay, first off, I have to mention, no. she also derives him. And I would I would have been like, no, no, you're going to kill me. I'm not going to drive you to the spot that you're going to kill me. <laughs> and then they get there and it's legit. That's why I wrote it this way. A shady ass part of the meatpacking district. It's industrial. It's deserted. There's nobody it's there. Saw. There's saw traps in there. Don't go in there. Billy was in the background. Pigheads already no. around, down the street. No, <laughs> I wouldn't know. No. no. Okay, I agree. No. However, can we talk about the leather skirt and, like, the looks that she's pulling? Oh, my God. The Le leather skirt was everything. See, thank you. Then it is about the look, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I love everything that they're serving. And even still, I'm going to skip ahead, because when she gets inside of the goddamn building, even right away, there's a piano here, and he starts playing the piano creepily. Like, creepily. And she's like, Just... what's going on? And he even tells her... Like, she's like, well, okay, if nothing's gonna happen, then I'm gonna leave. And he's like, it's too late to leave. You've seen them. I can't let you leave here alive. And then he plays, dun, 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 dun. like, <laughs> and she chops it up to him being like, I don't know, like playfully sexy or whatever. And I was like, girl, no. Red flag. You get a red flag. You get a red flag. We all get red flags. It's, it's. This is the only part I'm going to say, yes, I love this script. I'm going to let that be known now. This is the only portion of the script that I have, like, that doesn't make sense to me, only because I wouldn't react that way. Gina Davis is she's either digmatized, storymatized, or she's too frightened to leave. Who knows? But this lab, I love, I love 80s depiction of future technology. Yes. It's always so clunky. It's like chunky jewelry. It's like, it's unnecessary, but I love it. You love chunky jewelry. I you love, love chunky, chunky jewelry. jewelry. We have these huge designer, like, telephone booths, as Gina Davis calls them. In there, we have, like, these huge, like, definitely 80s type computers with those, like, small black screens that only have, like, 
font in green. And it like sometimes talks back to you and it like yeah. takes, like you hear <laughs> as it's like downloading the like I'm assuming that computers really talks back to you in the eighties because it happens in every like eighties movie. I think we wanted it to happen. I don't know. Call in. If you happen. knew back then, let me know. What does it look like? What's it like? We're talking about how this gets really weird, and I wouldn't trust Jeff Goldblum. But as she starts seeing the telepods, you can start seeing she's like, oh, this might be something. I don't think it is. I don't know yet. But she's willing to get, she's like, I don't know about these pods, but I want your pod. I want your pod and my telepod. So let's make pods. (laughs) This, like, panty scene is the hottest not sexual thing I've ever seen. Yes. It. Yes, I agree. Like, it's so hot. Good for them. Good. I'm like, if this is your, like, not even, like, this is you flirting, I can only imagine what your sex life is like. That's a really good way of putting it, because I almost wrote, when I was doing the story beats, I almost wrote down that she did it sexually, but she didn't do it sexually. There was nothing sexual about it, but it was a sexy thing to do. It was, I don't know, I had conflicting feelings about it. I really, I really enjoyed it, because Cronenberg likes to play with sex a lot in his filmography. Look at Videodrome. There's a lot of sex in Videodrome. And it's compiled to like push against different things. But in this way, it's like the beginning of like the romantic journey that I wasn't expecting. This is kind of a, when you get past like the creepy shit, this is kind of a cute, like what they call it in romance movies, like a meet cute. This is where our two characters met. This is how their like romance movie starts. Because this movie starts out honestly, earnestly. There's no hint of horror yet. There's no like depiction of like mm-hmm. things are going to go awry yet. And I think that it, that is why this movie is so successful Successful when it does give you the meaty, gross disgustingness. Because of this stuff. This cute, romantic, sexual, hot stuff. Like, it lays a foundation mm-hmm. for some horrible stuff to happen later. It really does. And it makes you... It, it builds this relationship between Ronnie and Seth. So it makes you feel for what happens later. It's, it's a great foundation. Because... We're getting their meet cute. She sees everything that happens. And at first she doesn't believe him. I Would you believe him? No. If he told me that he could teleport shit, no. Until he proves it. And when he proves it, that's when she's like, oh, I struck gold here. It's a good thing I took off my pantyhose. And that's when she takes out her little Macaulay Culkin Walkman recorder <laughs> thingy and starts recording their conversation. And then he flips. I was a little confused. How did you not know that she was a reporter when she kept stating, I have other interviews to do. I'm trying to find a story. And he's like, no, 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 right. no, 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 no. You can't record that. You can't, you can't, you can't do it. You get, I don't, what? Huh? Well, he's, he's also. Socially inept. He's also like, um, thank you. Socially inept, but also low-key desperate to get some poonanny. <laughs> and so he, when he saw the reporter, he was just like, oh, I'm desperate to get her over here. Regardless of what she does. What she did. And then when she was like, oh, there's actually a story here. And started to, like, get the scoop. That's when he was like, oh, no, no, no. Can't write a story. I just wanted to, like, show you this cool thing so we can get in your pants. Which she does. I mean, end goal, right? I I can see that. I can see that viewpoint that you're coming from. I just, I see why it's needed in order to create that conflict between the two. So I, I, I enjoy it. It's just, it's unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me the biggest positive out of it is that I love that Ronnie is like, you, I'm still going to get a story. Keep my panties, bitch. Keep both of them. (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm still going to go forward with this story. Ronnie is compelled and pushed forward because of her like desire to get 
to get ahead, to get that story. And then it develops into a romance because she realizes, oh, he's really smart and cute. Got it. So mm. she's an opportunist. And I like that. I like that. I like that in my characters. <laughs> we love to see it. We love to see it. Where, this is where we meet Stathis. Mm-hmm. Stathis? Stathis? Whatever. Stathis. He's an Stathis. asshole. Stathis. He immediately states, he's conning you. And it's so fun. I, he's such a dick. He's the editor of Particle Magazine. Right off the bat, I don't like him. And he's already f***ing creepy. So, excuse me. Stathis doesn't believe it. And then right as Stathis is, like, dismissing Ronnie and saying, like, what did I send you that convention for? You're supposed to bring him back a story. I expect a story, bitch. That's uh. when Seth shows up. And he's like, no, no, no. You can't publish this story. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And then that's when he makes this proposal to her. And, like, you know, don't write for Particle. I want you to, to what's the word I'm looking for? Document. document my journey and my experiment, and ultimately culminating and me teleporting 15 feet using the teleporting pods. I love this pairing. I think that it's so cute. I think it's so cute. They're clearly on a date. I think it's working for everybody involved here. And once again, Gina Davis's character is just, I'm just going to sit here and be like, Gina Davis. That's it. <laughs> That's the episode. Gina that's Davis. The, that's the episode. Gina Davis. Because I, I'm going to state it now. I, I knew I was coming here for Jeff Goldblum. I'm absolutely here for Jeff Goldblum. And he still delivers. But for me, Gina Davis kind of steals the show for me. It's Gina Davis and the makeup and then Jeff Goldblum. Wow. Yeah. Gina Davis kind of steals it for me because she's incredibly headstrong here. And her character goes through it, sis. Yeah, she kind of does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. But I mean, so does Jeff Goldblum. Hello, he's transformed into a fly. And you're absolutely right. But I think the thing that does it is because her character is the anchor point for us experiencing it. Her experience is our experience because we wouldn't be able to understand those emotional complexities because the fly is just a shit ton of makeup. As he gets grosser and grosser, it's just hard to look at him. You're sympathizing with him, but you get more of like the destruction of their relationship through Gina. Tis true. Tis, Tis true, true, sisters. Veronica returns home to find her editor, Stathis, in her shower. We learned they used to be in a relationship that ended badly. They have a quick back and forth, and Veronica throws him out. The next day, Veronica and Seth begin their project together, and she records him as he tries to teleport a baboon. It's not successful, and we get a glimpse of what happens when he tries to teleport organic matter. After the failure, Veronica interviews Seth on camera, and he blames himself and cuts the interview short. The couple sit in silence until Veronica offers to cook Seth a steak. He offers to take her out, to which she offers up sex. We love. They make whoopee. Oh my God, Jackie. They make whoopee off screen, and as they spoon after sex, Seth has a realization, and they experiment outside of the bedroom. He feeds Veronica a piece of steak and a piece of teleported steak. She can tell the difference and says the latter tastes synthetic. Seth deduces that the computer is interpreting or translating the meat rather than reproducing it. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Okay, so let's rewind the clock back to Ronnie and Stathis. Uh, I, uh, what would you have done? What would you have done? Who would you believe? <laughs> <laughs> you come home to your apartment after a long day. Let me set up your scene for you. Let me get you into the emotional context. You had a long day. Work was hard. You're talking to this mm. new cute guy. You finally think oh, that, yeah. oh my God, this really, like, 
he's cute. You know what? I'm going to get to work, but I'm going to remember that he's cute. Get home. You got your mail. Mm. You're thinking, what am I going to make for dinner? <gasps> you hear mm. the shower on. <gasps> Why is the shower on? As you make what? it forward, you see into the shower, and all of a sudden, <gasps> it's your f***ing <gasps> ex. It's your ex <sighs> in the shower. What do you do? Kick him out. <laughs> Flush the toilet. Just get like out of Ryan my house. <laughs> get out of my house. Uh, yeah, he's a real piece of shit. And who? hello, she should have got that key back. That was low-key her fault. I would have changed the lock. I would have absolutely changed the lock. But like, I'm sure she did after that day. She's got a type though, sis. This guy's crazy. Granted, Seth goes crazy. This guy's crazy. And this is just the inkling of it beginning. Because he still wants to get together. She's obviously not about it. He won't leave her alone about what's going on. She said, get the f*** out. And he says, no, I'm going to keep the key. He literally says, no, don't worry. I'm going to keep the key. I might need this later. And then she lets him. I wouldn't, I would not have been able to sleep. I would have needed to change those locks immediately. So the next day, Veronica and Seth, you know, they start doing their project thing where she's going to, uh, what's it, what's the word I used? Document. Document his experiment and everything. And so they finally start experimenting with live animals, aka organic matter. And they start with this poor baboon that they try and transport and it comes out horrendous. This is our first glimpse of this quote body horror that we've been mentioning all episode and the pod's door opens and all this smoke comes out it's very dramatic and then you kind of get this jump scare from this skeleton of like a baboon it doesn't even look like a baboon anymore with like it's flesh melting off and it's just a like literally a pool of like uh cartilage bones and like tendons at the bottom of this pod okay everybody so we mentioned a few weeks ago body horror for me is a lot i i'm praising videodrome but it took me two watches to get through videodrome (laughs) body horror takes me a lot to get through it's why i don't like hostile i don't like hostile i don't like hostile i don't like hostile i like hostile though this is just an inkling of what you're in, 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 ready for. If you are sensitive to sound, the Foley is ridiculous. Because this goop, thing, it literally looks like if you put chicken bones and wads of gum and KY jelly and like threw it up. This is what it is. And it's just the most disturbing part for me is the fact that the baboon is still breathing. The baboon oh, is yeah, still he's breathing. Still, like, he's still moving. alive. And I think that's what also really haunts brundle i wasn't ready for brundle to feel the way that he feels because the documentation Mm -hmm. portion is a really good portion of this movie i kind of wanted a little bit more out of it but it's way more 90s thing than an 80s thing but ronnie asked him the world will want to know what you're thinking guess what i'm thinking (laughs) it's like fuck (laughs) (laughs) but i i think it's a great way to show that brundle because at first i thought he does this a lot to a lot of animals i was not ready Peta is flagrant they're flamed up <laughs> they're pissed they're pissed they're ready to write a letter they wrote several letters his lab is getting shut down soon how do you feel about this scene like in terms of like an emotional contact it works for me because he's clearly upset after the failure of the teleportation she obviously wants to get his reaction and his honest opinion about what happened because a lot of i would say a majority of science is experiment and failure you know you got to keep going back at it until you get the the end result that you need 
And so she wants to get his take on his of what she's experiencing as one of his first failures that she's seeing for the first time. And he's really distraught about it and really hurt. But also, or maybe this just comes from being a scientist. I guess you have to get over it really quick because they go and get another baboon like the very next day. <laughs> They're on sale at Pepco. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I think you're you're right. And I think you kind of need that. And that's what I kind of stress about the puppeteering at the end of this, because all of that magnificence just doesn't work if you don't have an attachment to it. Like, the thing. The reason why the thing is so effective is that you were just sitting in dread and suspense, and you're waiting for someone to turn into the thing. So when the thing becomes Mm -hmm. the thing and is the thing, that thing is terrifying. (laughs) And much like the fly, like this guy, you're just waiting. You're being set up for what is going to be super disturbing. Because that baboon scene everything is it's like you're like oh what am i in for Mm -hmm. this is just a taste of what you're in for our first sex scene though we get a lot of sex everybody a lot of sex i hope you like sex because sex is on the menu today i'm not mad at it both of them are very attractive they're very attractive Mm -hmm. and we get to see jeff goldblum's little cakes not yet well, not yet, but I'm just saying in general with all the sex. Oh, I wanted to give that those cakes a special moment because I was, it's a conflicting feeling of like, uh, ew, uh, ew, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're whoopee, they make whoopee, and much like everybody else, your best ideas come after best whoopee because you just came. So it's just like good for him, good for her. I'm so happy for them. And then the steak scene. Something's a cooking, and I, I like that their relationship is, you want them to be together. I want them to be together. Yeah, they're definitely setting up this. Lo- uh, they're definitely setting up this love, romance, whatever relationship type of thing going on. And I am mad at it. If I were working with Jeff Goldblum, I would totally just gargle his balls. Oh! Oh my god! My god! <laughs> Time and place. Because we didn't talk about the before sex scene. Because she asked him, "Do you ever change your clothes?" Oh dear God! He has the oh, same yeah. exact outfit, doesn't he? He just—he's a—he's a hot nerd who doesn't know he's hot. That's like winning the lottery. That is literally mm-hmm. winning the lottery. That's a rare Pokemon right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the steak scene. Hello. We got totally on a tangent. Yeah. The steak scene. He feeds Ronnie the teleported steak versus the non-teleported steak. She can taste the difference. Says it tastes synthetic. Don't really know what that tastes like, but sure. That's when he realizes, he's like, oh, like, it's not reproducing it. It's translating it. Like, it's, it's doing it's like it's interpreting teleporting what it thinks yeah interpreting rather than just like transferring it or reproducing it that's what i like about this movie so this movie also does i think it explains its science in a realistic way where you can get over it and just like okay that makes sense that could be plausible so i can set up this dimension because seth also states that he didn't technically invent everything from it he's just a businessman who's really good who's really really smart he takes parts from this person parts from this person you make this for me and this is how we're going to develop the teleportation pod which also adds like a credit to him of like him being reckless like he's not just a scientist who only thinks by the numbers he's still like emotionally driven and driven by like money and stuff so i really like that Mm -hmm. from brundle but i just i think it's the cutest thing that he's inspired and he's off to work because he's inspired by the woman that he falls in love with and this just like sets them up for like a cute beautifulness and it's like if you didn't know anything about this movie and you just came into this movie you're not ready for this cute relationship to get really bad it's like the notebook on like (laughs) heroin (laughs) 
She's not heroin. It's wild. I'll, I will say that. Veronica leaves the lab and goes shopping for a new jacket for her new boo. She runs into her ex, Stathis, at the store, and they have a heated public argument. Back at the lab, Seth is successful at transporting a baboon, and the couple celebrates. As they celebrate with champagne, Veronica proposes going on a holiday, and Seth asks if they're having a romance. Ronnie confirms his feelings, and they seal the deal with a kiss. As the couple continues their night, Ronnie finds a mock-up of a cover of Particle magazine with Seth and his invention on the cover. Ronnie hides it from him and tells him that she will be stepping out for a few hours. Ronnie confronts Stathis in his office where they have an argument, ultimately ending in Stathis asking Ronnie if they could stay f- buddies. Back <laughs> hey, at the lab, Seth is spiraling when he <laughs> Back at the lab, Seth is spiraling when he figures out that Stathis is Ronnie's ex-boyfriend. He vents the baboon as he downs a bottle of liquor. He decides it's time for human trials and strips off all of his clothes and hops into the transportation pod. He fails to realize a fly has made it into the pod with him, but the transportation seems to go off without a hitch. Oh, can we talk about Stathis being a... Like, I told you Stathis was a creep. Now he's super mega creep on another level. Stayed the night, followed her, and then outside of her place of work, followed her to the store, and then (laughs) I think my favorite part, he's like, Oh! You, you're here. Oh, I should have known you'd be here at this store. <laughs> As if he didn't follow her. No, but the thing, he's full of adamant about it. She's like, what are you doing here? I followed you. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that would look good on, on your little boyfriend. He's just so jelly. It's so jelly. He's lime green jello and he can't even stand it. He, <laughs> yay, Jennifer's body reference. It's <laughs> psychology today, my ass. I'm finally onto something. I'm finally onto something big, huge. What? She should be so lucky. He is plucked and plenty. Do you think they were still messing around before this? Or he's just delusions of grandeur? I don't think that they were messing around anymore. But I do think it was very much a case of if I can't have you, nobody can. Oh, it's so creepy. Listen, everybody, if this happens to you in real life, besides the fact that report it and make sure that you stay fire away from him, is the fact that Ronnie's like, F*** you, you don't tell me what to do. I'm still going to buy these clothes. Thank you so much for my new boyfriend. (laughs) She's like, you're not ruining my retail therapy day. I just got dicked down and it was great. It was so good that I'm buying him a jacket, a leather jacket, a very nice leather jacket. Your outburst just bought him new shoes. Uh, (laughs) I love it. That is the best revenge. That is the best revenge. And then finally, success. The baboon is transferred. Everything works. Yes, my telephones work. Crash like It's alive. <laughs> it didn't die. It's... <laughs> I love the celebration. This scene is the cutest. I love that line. I'm so glad that you put it in the breakdown because I think it's the cutest thing. Is this a romance we're having? Is, is, is this what it is? Yeah, it could be a romance. I think it's... So nerdy. It's so cute. It's so cute. I stand five ever. It's cute. It's very real. Like when you're in the beginning stages of a relationship and you're feeling all the feels and you feel all those butterflies and you're like, is this what is we're this doing? Is this for like, real? This... Yeah, it's really cute. And this is the, like these beats are very important for their story later to make you feel for what they like, what they initially had planned for their relationship. Until it goes horribly awry. You're right. 
think that's what it is. It's so real. And I don't know if that's just them being fantastic actors or the fact that they were dating at the time and that, like, gave it another level because it's so stinking cute. It's so stinking cute. And then, of course, it's ruined immediately. Like, immediately it's ruined <laughs> by by Stathis being a f***ing creep again. Besides the fact that he dropped it. I know he dropped it off personally. I know he didn't send that through FedEx or anything. He's like, nope, I had it. In my, I, got, I was here. I was in the neighborhood. And I thought I'd drop <laughs> off this to you. Seriously. But it's her line of, I still have remnants of my old life on my shoe and I need to scrape it off. I'm a sucker for it. Ooh. It's cheesy. And no, I like it. I think it's so cheesy and it works in the imagery. I'm a nerd. Oh, so after he finds the mock-up of the cover of Particle Magazine, Ronnie hides it from him. She runs to Stathis. is like, what the f*** is this shit? You stay the f*** out of my life. And then Stathis is like, but can we still f***? And then she just like storms out. He's such a creep. Back at the lab, Seth finally connects all the dots and realizes that Stathis is Ronnie's ex, and he starts to spiral as any, like, insecure, nerdy person would do. In the new clothes that she bought him. It's really sad in honesty. It's very relatable. <laughs> you know, a lot of people spiral out when they find just the little inkling of news, and they just, like, pile up this whole fantasy in their head of what really happened, rather than, like, finding out from the horse's mouth. Seriously, and he's compartmentalizing everything into... <laughs> Essentially, the monkey's his bartender, and I think it's so funny. I love the comedic beat of the monkey just being like... It was funny, because when he was talking, I was like, has he really lost it? And he's talking to himself, and then the <laughs> camera moves to show that he's talking to the baboon. I'm like, oh, okay. We're still crazy. It's, it's, oh, okay. We're, no, no, no. We're still crazy. And then we're blessed, and we're just going to keep getting blessed until it starts getting terrifying. He strips naked, yeah! and I just... Mm-hmm. You could have given us a little more, because we get some side boob from Gina Davis later on. He could have shown inside, uh-huh. like, a side ball. Is that, like, the equivalent? I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little sack. Yeah, a little sack, or, or a little more... We get some more cheek, but, like... So, yeah. <laughs> sack. I just realized... Uh, yeah. Just drop <laughs> one. Just drop one. Not both. Just drop one of In them. In my mouth. Like, it's not the vibe. Stop! <laughs> and the experiment is deemed a, quote-unquote, success. But we as the audience know that there is a fly. A fly. A fly made it into the pod. And then it becomes the things of your worst nightmares. Later that night, Ronnie comes back to the lab where Seth is asleep on his bed. She wakens him and he tells her he went through the pod. She awakens him and he tells her he went through the pod. She scolds him and he tells her that he's jealous of Stathis. She explains their sordid past and the two have makeup sex. Seth is awakened by a fly in a room that he catches with his bare hand, and he gets up from bed and walks off screen. Later that night, Ronnie wakens in bed to find Seth missing. She finds him in the lab, acting strange. So she comes back in the middle of the night, and he he's like, oh, I, this is the next day. She's like, no, it's the same night, you idiot. But the thing that just catches me off guard that I wasn't prepared for is that he... Okay, let's mark off the list of everybody, because she hit the, the jackpot. He is a nerd, a successful nerd, a hot, successful nerd, and he's capable of talking about his feelings, and he taps into his emotions. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> it just sucks. Because from here, and but this, this movie reminds me a lot of, like, a Greek tragedy. Like, you know this romantic, beautiful, starstruck couple are just not going to be together in some horrible way, and you're watching the, descri- like, the destruction of all that happening and this is like the start of it because 
they don't communicate because they don't talk to each other like any other Greek yeah. mythology. It sucks. It sucks. It's definitely like you. It's definitely setting you up for tragedy. That's for sure. <laughs> right? Like, mm, yeah. It sucks. The next day, the couple acts uh, coupley at the flea market where Seth buys Ronnie a pretty little heart locket. They head to a coffee shop where Seth talks passionately about his successful experiment as he ingests copious amounts of sugar. They go back home and they have even more sex, and Ronnie is wore out, but Seth can keep on going. She discovers the coarse hairs growing on his back and trims them. This is when he has the brilliant idea that Ronnie should go through the pod too. She refuses and it turns into an argument that sends Seth spiraling yet again and he runs out on her. The transformation begin. We start seeing the transformation begin. He starts getting heightened senses. He's Spider-Man, but Fly-Man. Ooh. And then he starts <laughs> doing... Is it bad of me that all I can think about was Jurassic Park 2 when Jeff Goldblum's daughter is doing the gymnastics and then hits the velociraptors? You know what I'm talking about. That's this is all the precursor I, to this that. Is the pre- this is the prequel, bitch. Like, his gymnastic moves... Because all Ronnie does is just drool. She's like, look at my man go. Yeah, she just said... I mean, I guess... I would too. I would just sit there and watch him. I was impressed. I was impressed too. Look at him get all sweaty. But it's... Are we led to believe that this is this is a good thing? This is a good... Like, look at him, his transformation. He's zoning out and doing a shit ton of flips. I think at first, she thinks, like, it's a good thing. Like, oh, he has heightened senses or whatever. And it's not until the next day that she starts to realize, like, oh, no. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Something is terrible. Something is not right here because we get them doing a cute coupley thing of like going to go get like he got her a necklace. Oh, how lovely! Mm-hmm. And the sugar begins, and then sugar, sugar, sugar water, sugar, sugar water. Uh, so yeah, we start getting like bits of him kind of showing his crazy, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's talking very passionately about his project, and he just keeps shoveling the sugar in his little, like, cappuccino. And that's all Ronnie can really focus on. <laughs> but what gets me is that, like, okay, she realizes that he's starting to unravel. What does she do? They go home and they f- She's like, hold on, I want to make sure he's really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Show me how crazy you are. Because apparently they just f- for two three hours and she's like i need a break and even then he's like nah nah i need it now it's i feel very uncomfortable we start seeing the cute sweet weird nerdy brundle become what crazy like do flies just want to eat sugar is that what i'm supposed to like to gather if they do then i wish i was born a fly oh my god you purevert you purevert (laughs) Because this quick, I really thought the insanity turn was gonna be a slow descent. It's it's a drop. It's like you get a you get a get you get an inkling, and then all of a sudden the tower of terror drops from underneath you. <laughs> <laughs> but the bulge, girl. But the bulge. He's still Ooh. wearing underwear in the scene, and sis, sis. Mm. God bless. God wow. bless. I I'm a sucker for briefs, and he wears them so well. It's like an American apparel ad that I want to see. Wow. Mm, from the 80s. Mm. But he's just... Sorry. We got distracted. Of course we did. <laughs> this switch is so fast. I was wait, I was expecting them to, like, 
him be crazy and then have some a like, slow descent into madness. But no, he's like right off the bat. He it's like he he's on drugs. It literally looks like he's like yeah. Take them with me. Mm-hmm. Take take this teleport telepod with me. We get into this argument and it just goes from zero to one hundred, and they're broken up. And he's out on the town, and everything's happening. The timeline for me, I wish, was just a little bit more explained, because you kind of have to really pay attention. Because later on, we don't find out that they haven't talked for four weeks. So I can only imagine, like, what is the time frame that we're looking at? Because the only time frame Mm -hmm. that we have is inside of this building, inside of his laboratory. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's going on. So I don't know how long he's been going crazy for. It's true. We don't really get much of a timeline. Mm Mm-mm. Seth goes to a bar where he puts his newfound strength to the work. He gets into an arm wrestling match with a man, and he quickly breaks his arm and takes his girlfriend too. Seth takes his prize back to his lab where he shows her how he teleports. They have sex a lot, maybe? I don't know. He lies on top of her and he grunts. And isn't that how straight people have sex? That's what missionaries like, right? (laughs) After the boink fest, the woman begs for breakfast, but Seth wants her to go through the pod. As he drags her to the pod, they're stopped by Ronnie. The woman leaves and Ronnie confronts Seth about his changes. She says that something went wrong when he teleported. She was able to get the hairs she trimmed off his back tested. They came back as non-human. He becomes agitated and throws her out. He goes to clean himself up in the bathroom, but his shaver can't cut the coarse hairs that are now growing out of his face. Then he slowly begins to pull off his fingernails from his seemingly rotting fingertips. Fingernails! Fingernails. I knew it. He runs back to his computer to check the sequences of the night he teleported and discovers that his DNA was fused together with the fly at a molecular level. It's very Twilight Zone, I love. Okay, so Seth goes on a bender and just goes to this bar where he freaks out. It's so random. I don't understand. I mean, I guess. Whatever. I don't know. I guess this is what happens when your DNA mixes with the fly. You go on a f***ing bender and have an uh, arm wrestling match with some stranger. What? Sure. I I guess. But my favorite part is that he takes his girlfriend too. <laughs> you. Okay. We have to talk about the dive bar and everything. Because he leaves still half naked. He only puts on a jacket and mm-hmm. some pants. And his shirt is... Uh, his shirt is still out. His, his chesty hairs are still out. Uh, anyway, all of that is taken away from me because he looks like no shade. This is when the makeup starts developing. He's starting to look mm-hmm. pretty grotesque. And grotesque, I, yeah. Gro- it's like it's, he looks sickly. And this is where I'm going to like pause for a quick second because this is where the themes of this movie really start playing. This movie, Cronenberg has stated that this movie is themes of aging and what happens to the body when we age and to the ones that we love and everything that follows. It's hit really over the head really, really well later on in a difficult scene, but this is when we start seeing it happen. This has also been alluded to the it playing on the themes of the AIDS crisis since this is 86 and this depiction of mm. loved ones not being able to help those that are just dying in front of them and this is the beginning of yeah. that to me that is the most frightening shit especially when it continues further and <sighs> Brundle just becomes so understanding that I am dying and I am so scared that it's happening to me and I can't stop it 
that stuff yeah. hits hard, bitch. Especially when it's in context of the AIDS crisis, and also and just in the context of like we are both getting older. I'm not able to do things that I was able to do when I was 18, when Mm -hmm. I was 16. This is frightening. It's showing it to you in an extremist, weird way, like a Twilight Zone episode. And this is the inklings Mm -hmm. of that. When people start aging, no shade. I'm going to say it again, even though it might be shady. When people start aging, they kind of go through the midlife crisis and this idea of like, I've got to like, I've got to prove that I'm still capable of doing all these things. And this for me is that. He snaps the f***'s hand mm. in half to show how strong Ooh. he is. Wicked. Wicked. It's so wicked. <laughs> it's so wicked. That was totally wicked. And then, yes, he is a dick and picks up a younger girl. Hello, midlife crisis. He's the fly and flies age fast. He's going through his midlife crisis. So, like, I like it. I like it a lot. I love movies like this. But then he uses the whoop. He, like, doesn't even want her for sex. He wants her to go through the pod. <laughs> uh, uh, can we talk about the sex thing? Like, now we can start going. Like, this is when we finally get an ass shot. And it's wasted. Mm. Yeah, it is wasted. Because then you start seeing the, like, grotesque things that are going on with his body. And it's it's a quick ass shot, too. We don't. I would like to And it's a more. corner ass I, shot. Disappointing, to say the least. But yeah, they have a boink fest, and he tries to pull her into the pod. This is a little frightening. Like, he's f- f- he's descending. Oh, are you descending? He's descending. <laughs> yeah. But then this is where we get a return of Ronnie. And she's come to see what's happened. This is where you get your iconic line of, Be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> it's, it's, it's frightening. I am afraid. Because he tries it. We talked about it. It's like he's on drugs. It's like he's trying to get whoever's on it with him because he believes that the telepod purified him, that he is clean, that he is not disintegrating. The line that gets me, though, is like, don't you want to do it? You'll feel sexy. She's like, but I already feel sexy. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I don't need the I feel good on life itself. Like, okay, take the drugs, Mary. (laughs) She's high on life. She's high. It's great. And then this is where Ronnie comes back and essentially, well, this is where she comes and tells, yeah, confronts Seth, like, you're not a human anymore. You're Something happened. Something happened. It's it's not only the layer of, like, you're a monster. Oh, you're a monster? I'm a monster. But also the fact that this is so I'm fucking. I'm a fucking monster. <laughs> but this is so awkward. As, like, a couple relationship thing. Like, you're some other girl already hi hello she's like me she's and like, the girl gets the cue too she's like who's that your ex bye she picks up her clothes and she starts leaving bitch it's the line who's that my mother remember we were talking about mother she's my mother oh yeah <laughs> he's still managed to be and be gold bloom but still terrifying it's a talent but still the fly Let's circle back to their relationship because it just keeps evolving. This is so awkward. Like, you you meet your ex. Things are not good for your ex. It's upsetting. You feel for them because he was incredibly sweet and charming. And now he's literally no longer human. And you feel for her. You feel for her. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. There's other men out there. There's other flies in the air. You'll find another guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Sophie becomes agitated and he throws her out. And then that's when he goes to the bathroom and he tries to shave. Because she, I think she comments on his appearance. And so he goes you to the bathroom and tries to She says that you face. smell and you look like shit. Wow. <laughs> Your birthmark looks, looks like, like shit. <laughs> so he goes to the bathroom and tries to fix his face. And the <laughs> he's using one of those like clothes shavers that I hate. With the three little blade, circular blade things, things mm. hurt. Yes, they do. So he tries to use that to shave, and it's the f-ing fly hair is so coarse, like it breaks the blade essentially. And then, oh, the fingernails. Can we talk about the fingernails? He pulls his fingernails out, like one like by easy. one, like just like uh, you're slipping uh, off a bandaid, just like. Oh, it's like his fingertips are rotting. He's got gangrene. Uh, his whole body is starting to like, w- like you. He looks yellow and like patches of purple. And it's he's got it, jaundice. It, he it straight up looks like he has jaundice. The the thing that kills me is when he pushes the tip of his finger, and we get the pus squirting out mm. onto the. Mer- uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The pus. Do you want to talk about the pus? It's. I thought this was the worst part. (laughs) And then my favorite though is because his fingers, his fingers are all gross. He puts on gloves so that way he can go back to the computer and run the sequence about what happened the night that he teleported. And this is where he finds out that there was other DNA in the telepod with him. The DNA of a fly. We cut to weeks later, and Seth calls Ronnie, telling her she was right, and asks if she can come see him right away. When she arrives, she's shocked to see how Seth has changed, deteriorated. He fills Ronnie in on how this happened. Ronnie just listens in horror as she watches Seth literally deteriorate in front of her eyes. From there, she heads straight to Seth's office for some advice to which he tells her to never go back, that it could be contagious. He tells her to bring him evidence and a videotape of Seth, and he'll see what he can do. We come back to the apart. We come back to the laboratory. First of this laboratory is a mess. There is literally junk food everywhere throughout this once mm-hmm. gorgeous industrial lab that some hipster probably would pay millions for now. Mm. What is your first impression of this phase of Brundle? This is where he's essentially like accepted his fate and what's happened to him, and he's just like. Like, this is what it is. Like, can you come see me before I, like, die? And so she gets and He's not by any means the same person. Um, obviously, his appearance has changed dramatically. Um, he's not in the right headspace. And it shows with his environment and the way that he speaks to her. He, he just sounds defeated when they're speaking, you know, when they're talking. And literally, like, as they're talking, I think his ear falls off. It's f- gross. Like... It's really bad by this point. He's li- like I said in the notes. He's literally like deteriorating in front of her eyes. He, the the ear falling part was a surprise to Gina Davis. She didn't know the ear was gonna fall, so her reaction <laughs> is legitimate. <laughs> she did not I didn't know that. That's awesome. None of it was gonna happen. This whole portion for me, you you hit it on the nail. This is his acceptance. We have now passed over the middle-aged section of his life and we are now in this portion of his life where he's like yeah i'm getting older and i think i'm I'm gonna die i know i'm gonna die the line for me though that makes the aging process so terrifying i will state to me aging is kind of really scary 
he states, Every time I look in the mirror, there's someone different, someone hideous, repulsive. And it's just like, how do you accept that? Especially at a like super rapid pace of like every time you, every day we mm-hmm. get older, we're never getting any younger. And this process is terrifying. She also gives the line of like, I don't accept that. We can figure something out. We can work on this. And it sucks that she just has to watch. She just, she just watches all of this unfold and it's really it, it just like it continues to just keep hitting you in the gut as the movie keeps going yeah it just gets worse and worse get we also this is our first part of the acid eating process oh, oh i forgot i honestly blocked it out of my mind oh, it is because amongst all the junk food that's laying there uh, Brundle has like a box of donuts and so he in front of Rodney <laughs> in front of Roddy, he, he grabs a donut and just I didn't t- like without realizing that she's watching and she's never seen this before straight up like puke this like acid slime saliva all over the donut and she reacts like one would in shock and horror and he's just like oh i'm sorry i guess you you've never seen that before and apparently that's how flies eat yeah did you not know that have you ever seen a fly up close before they eat they literally like put their hands together they go like that and then they throw up on whatever they're eating because their body can't digest it and then they consume that disgusting it gets what i we keep saying this and legitimate it gets worse and its pinnacle is the most insane i death i think we've ever talked about on this on the show because it is insane it is disturbing when ronnie makes it back to the lab she discovers seth being a fly on the wall he has calmly succumbed to his metamorphosis and explains he needs her to help to record his transformation she manages to get the tape back to stathis and he watches in horror as seth demonstrates how he has to eat his food ronnie returns home with disappointing news She's pregnant with Seth's baby. She has a horrible nightmare in which she gives an, in which she goes to have an abortion and they pull a full human-sized larva out of her. Then Ronnie finds out that she's prego. Her ego is prego. And can you imagine? I mean, normally I would be elated to be knocked up by Jeff Goldblum, but not Jeff Goldblum the fly. But, like, legitimate. I have a legitimate question for you. Do you think the baby could, like, scratch your vag on the way out? (laughs) (laughs) So, we talk. I keep mentioning themes, and this is me geeking out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode. They also mention pro-life and pro-choice options in the 80s in an 80s movie about a woman controlling her body and not wanting something inside of her. Because she straight up says, I don't want it inside of me especially later. Mm -hmm. And there's constant pushback from other men. I will cis hetero men telling her what to do with her body. And this dream sequence is terrifying. It is terrifying for me. It's up there with like the evil dead tree thing. Uh, honestly, I find this more horrifying than that. Really? Yeah. This, cause they, it's, it's Okay. So for me, an abort like I can only imagine how horrifying an abortion is, and so to layer that with like this sci-fi kind of body horror where they where sh- this poor woman goes in for an abortion, 
and they pull out a fully human-sized fly larva out of her vagina. Hello. It's covered in slime. I can only imagine what the afterbirth looks like. Listen, if you want kids to be celibate, if you need kids to be celibate, show them this. Just show them this. This is nightmare-inducing. For me, this is up there with totally random. Do you remember nine months with Hugh Grant? Was that his name, Hugh Grant? Uh Uh-huh. And he keeps having nightmares of his wife turning into a praying mantis. The praying mantis! Yes! This... Where they have sex and she eats him or they she rips off his head and he turns around and she's a praying mantis in his bed. That I don't like bugs. We all know that. And a praying mantis, that is f***ing horrifying. And then this. This is up there for me. And like burned into my brain. I'm never going to not see this. I didn't know this was going to, this was happening. I didn't know this part about the fly. So when he just, <laughs> it's effective. It is so effective. And I. It I'm, is. Back at the lab, Seth is fully unrecognizable and still trying to devise a plan to get back to normal. Ronnie stops by to check on him and tells him that she's pregnant, but she decides not to after she sees the state that Seth is in. She runs out to Stathis, who is waiting. They set up an emergency abortion, and as Ronnie is getting ready in her room, Seth breaks into the hospital room and whisks her away to beg for her not to kill the only other piece of him. She says that she can't have the baby and that she's afraid. So this scene is very important. He is now officially no longer Brundle, and it's really difficult. I don't know if this is an analogy or a way to talk about when someone reaches a point in their age where they it's essentially dementia, and you no longer mm-hmm. are the person who you are, because he states, I remember that I was an insect who dreamt that he was a man and loved it, but now the insect is awake. <sighs> oof, oof. He's no longer the man that she fell in love with. Like, there is no trace of him. His teeth literally fell out. Mm-hmm. He is, like, he's he's a troll. He looks like, he, like, he's, ooh. Mm. How do you it's feel about really this? It's really, it's heartbreaking, you know, honesty, because you, because you get the visual of someone who is completely unrecognizable from the beginning of the movie. They are completely, for lack of a better word, deformed, um and but you can still like jeff goldblum does a great job of still delivering his lines in a very sympathetic and and a very sympathetic and almost defeated way because they were successful at something that they had been experimenting at for quite some time and within that success they also found love and with all with all in that encompassing happening at the same time, he also lost it all at the same time. So it's heartbreaking. It's like a, it's like one of those morality tales of like, be careful what you wish for. Or like those with the, the the, no good deed goes unpunished. Essentially. He's trying to develop this new invention that's going to help the world. Mm -hmm. But at what cost? This is, it's stellar, stellar work for me. You mentioned it and I'm so happy that you did. Goldblum is able underneath buckets and piles of makeup to still have a visceral reaction and need and like sorrow for him and gina davis man this is this this is my one of my favorite shots in this movie she's just standing there she's just standing there unable to tell him that i am pregnant with your baby because of what's going on this is me saying Mm -hmm. goodbye to you and it is so heart-wrenching it hurts it's really really fantastic it's the direction the acting 
and your setup. Nothing but fantastic things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she runs back outside to Stathis, who is able to pull some strings and, you know, get her an emergency abortion. All while uh, Seth is li- listening from the rooftop with his supersonic fly ears. And he like can hear. Like Hunchback of Notre Dame. Straight up. We forgot to mention, Stathis now can climb walls. He is now capable of having fly capabilities and literally climbing on the literally wall. Literally a fly on the wall. It's like a nightmare on Elm Street. I really think they did the room, didn't they? Where they built a movable full room because they get a shot of him going from one end of the wall, climbing the other mm-hmm. side of the wall, and then just walking like it's normal. It's stellar. Mm-hmm. Physical effects. And it's really well done. I couldn't clock it. I could. It's so good. Seth is listening from the rooftop of the meat pie. <laughs> Whatever, his lab. Uh, and he hears that Ronnie is pregnant. She wants to have this abortion. And then this is where he follows them to the hospital and ultimately breaks into her room and kidnaps her to only, like, not to kill her or hurt her or anything, but to beg her not to have the abortion because it's the last remaining piece of him. And it's heartbreaking. And you almost feel for him. But I, I mean, obviously we're pro-choice here and I 100% would agree with Gina Davis and I would do the exact same thing if I were Ronnie and I would get that thing out of me. She even gives the line, I want an abortion. I'll do it myself if I have to. Mm -hmm. This movie just lays in on wonderful themes in terms of like, I don't ever really see other movies tackling the aging process. Essentially, cancer, uh, the loss of love, and then on top of that, a woman's capability to have control of her own body. It's just like, what? This is 86. This is wild. This is a wild... Come on, Cronenberg. Seriously. I just have to mention, like I said, this is my first time watching it. I was not ready for that jump scare of him literally breaking through like he's (laughs) Batman. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. What? What? That was wild. It's Apparently flies can break through walls or or, uh, windows. Are fly sticks super strong? Is that something that like, I just don't know about them or what? Maybe. I mean, I, I think maybe in relative to their body size, Makes sense. maybe they are strong. So when you, and now when that you he's... would put, when you would, gi- exactly. And when you would give a human that strength compared to their size, I guess it would be super strong. I, I don't care. I'm here for it. I am so for it. And you're right. It's still so heartbreaking. Back at the lab, Stathis makes his way in to wait for Seth to return. While he waits, he prepares by putting together his shotgun. He makes his way to the computer and sees what Seth has been working on, a plan to try to turn him human again. Seth is able to sneak up on him and spew his acidic barf all over his hand, forcing him to drop the gun and then spitting all over his leg, immobilizing him. Just as he is about to finish him off, Ronnie stops him. He forces her into the pod to carry out his plan. As he drags her to the pod, his skin is falling off of his body, looking less and less human. By the time he throws her into the pod, he is fully transformed into the fly. He makes his way into the other pod as the countdown begins. The not-dead, just-unconscious Stathis comes to and is able to shoot up the cable connected to Ronnie's pod. When Seth sees this, he attempts to break out of his pod, but doesn't do so fast enough. The sequence begins and the fly version of Seth disappears. Stathis is successful in saving Ronnie, and she makes her way out of the pod. That's when the third pod opens up, revealing an even more decrepit version of the fly. It begs Ronnie for it to kill it. She does so with a cry, 
and our movie ends. <sighs> this finale is only like 10 minutes and it's so intense. <laughs> a lot <laughs> happens. Okay, Stathith grabs a gun. Who cares? He grabs the gun. He's in there and we get the weirdest screech from Goldblum as he ascends from the ceiling and starts pounding the shit out of the Stathis. And this is the wildest death, not death, I've seen in an 80s movie in a minute. In a <laughs> minute. It's it's the melting. It's the horrific screaming as his skin is just melting off of the... His bone is melting. It's the acidic part Who? for me. But, I mean, what else is he going to do? He's a fly. He's got to use what he's got. And so he uses his acidic barf to immobilize Stathis and get Ronnie into the pod to carry out his plan. And it's it's wild because he's literally, like, he's got to hurry up and carry out his plan because his body's literally falling apart. Like, chunks of skin are falling off of him. And he's by the time he gets to his own pod... He, he's not himself anymore. He's literally like a fly. He's got the face of a fly and he makes it into the pod. There's like another reveal. The last stage, you are right. His body is falling apart. And when she is just pleading with him to not go into the pod, because at this point, no, there's no human trace of him whatsoever. Especially when she pushes up against him and gets the wickedest special effect of her slapping his jaw off and the rest Ooh, of his yeah. head disintegrates to the <laughs> the most disturbing f- giant fly head thing. We've gone full Cronenberg by this moment. Oh Fully in it. And if y'all have never gone full Cronenberg before, this is it. Buckle up, sis. Take a deep breath and just wait it out. Because this is, it's so intense because Ronnie is freaking out. She's trapped. And then somehow Stathis comes to and is finally a good guy, figures everything out. And then <sighs> Brundlefly, Brundlefly gets worse. He gets worse. He gets caught in the transportation mid transport and he gets mm-hmm. more fused with the also metal frame of the door that he just broke off on top oh, of being yeah. again. And he is just, I don't know what he is. I don't know what he is. I don't know what he is. He's a pile of goop, pile of fly goop with some, with like a a door frame mixed in there. It's very, it's a very Cronenberg. I'll say that. You feel so bad. You feel so bad for him. He's just. You do because there's still an inkling of him in there because it, I'm not going to even call him. Uh, Seth anymore. It begs Ronnie to put it out of its misery. And the poor thing does so with tears in her eyes because she, she knows that he's still in there. There's still an inkling of him because he's begging to be put out of his mercy. And she does so. And that's where our movie ends. And it's such a bleak ending. I felt like the air got sucked out of me. Like, this is where I was crying, everybody. <laughs> because it is just it, the despair. It's so sad. She still loves him. And Gina Davis is acting the house down boots, mama. Okay? Like, she's mm-hmm. giving it her all. And then the movie just stops. Yeah. And it's very, it's kind of, like, it's, it's, it's jarring. It's jarring because it's kind of just out of nowhere. And don't get me wrong. It, it's a good ending in the fact that, like, it's it's an ending. Like you see what happens to Brundle, 
Um, Ronnie is successful. She survives. I guess Stathis is alive. But, like, you almost, like, for for a quote-unquote want, like, a more perfect ending, you would want, like, maybe two extra minutes of a nice bow. But it's, in my opinion, it's not required. And especially no. not for a Cronenberg movie. No, not for a Cronenberg movie. And especially not for, essentially, the, the Greek tragedy that I mentioned. It's gonna end in tragedy. And this is that tragedy. You don't really get a concluding thing, except for the fact that he's put out of his misery. We think Ronnie's going to be okay. <laughs> She's going to need a lot of f- therapy after this for Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. I'm satisfied with the ending. I'm just, I guess what it is, is that it's the emotional like impact of it all. that I'm like, ah, uh, I need to go watch something funny because this was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we're at the end of our movie. We finally somehow survived this film. What are you going to get this flick's final score? So for our first Cronenberg flick, this is, in my opinion, the one to start with. This is the only one I'm familiar with that I've seen before, and it's it's great. It's great. It's gross. It it's got all the story beats. It's got all the ticks off for like a good like body horror movie, and so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, re- like, rent it for sure. I don't own this movie personally, and even though I love Jeff Goldblum, it's a rent for sure. Uh, I feel like Cronenberg movies aren't for everyone. Uh, yeah, but for anybody for sure. who's into these kind of, like, bleak, crazy body horror movies, definitely check out Cronenberg. But what are your thoughts? Oh, my God. First time view. First time fully understanding all of the references that this movie does. <sighs> My answer is buy it because Ooh. I am going to buy it. I am absolutely going to buy this. I watched this on Amazon and I'm really? like, oh, I need to own this immediately. I, I just want to state like as a closing, because I couldn't not gush about this movie enough. I can't believe I haven't seen this movie, but to me, this movie is a classic universal pictures, horror movie of a sad, like depressing kind of storyline of a romantic Mm -hmm. love that's never meant to be he turns into the monster he's essentially the phantom Mm -hmm. of the opera in terms of this wicked love that can never be and he becomes this monster and it's just it blew my brain i I, wow wow me wow buy it it's it's (laughs) themes are fantastic handles it well Mm mm-hmm it is like Cronenberg's take on like a universal classic movie monster because it very much is that we're like very much like Dracula where it was disguised as this romance movie. I don't know. That's wow. You blew my mind. I did not make that connection. You're welcome. I nothing but fantastic praises. I will buy more copies for the store because I like this movie so much. Oh, well, I'm glad you like it so much. That was your first viewing. It was fantastic. Oh my God. Such a great time. Jeff Goldblum. How could I go wrong? But for our last week in our February free-for-all, we get to talk about a film you chose. Your options have been the following. Malignant, Drag Me to Hell, or Christine. So tune in next week to find out who won. I'm stoked. I'm happy that you guys got to pick this one. I think it's going to be great. Our first viewer's choice. We'll see how it goes. For final housekeeping, you can follow the queens on Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at the Carpenter Queen. No, 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 no. There's no the at Carpenter Queens. <laughs> my personal account is at STFU Ray. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. So please, everybody, step into the pods. You don't have to go home. You don't have to stay here. 
stay safe, stay queer, stay masked up, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See y'all bye, on your bye, pick. Bye, 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 b